human beings just want to be seen. Well, maybe. What do you mean, Jonah? (laughs) Well, in his book, Agrarian Spirit, which I've mentioned before, uh, Norman Wiersba, a professor of mine, graduate school, he devotes an entire chapter to seeing in his section on spiritual exercises. The chapter is called Learning to See, and this is how it begins. He says, to look and to see are not the same thing. Though individuals may look at the same scene, what they see can vary considerably. This is because viewers come equipped with different habits of attention and are motivated by varying desires and interests. Though looking may involve little more than the physiological capacity for sight, seeing involves a kind of consciousness that appreciates the significance of what one is looking at. Human beings don't just want to be looked at. They, we, want to be seen, truly seen. Seen for who we are and seen for what we can be. Friends, do you feel seen in your relationships? Starting nice and light this morning, I know. But seriously, do you feel seen in your marriage, your family, relationships, friendships? Do you feel like people really see you? Or do they simply look, not necessarily seeing you, but kind of a reshaped version of you which they've created? On the flip side, do you make it a point to see those around you? I mean, not just to look, but to really see. Or do you find yourself, like I do, preoccupied with your own desires and conceptions, such that what you see is really an image of your own making? I I say this this morning because... We are all caught up in these dynamics, friends. Wanting to be seen, but not being seen. Wanting to be seen, but not seeing others. And trying to navigate the endless array of distractions in our world, which impair our ability to see in the first place. If you haven't guessed already, seeing is what this sermon is all about. Sensitively and attentively seeing is, I think, what Epiphany, the season of Epiphany, is all about. Now, the passage we're going to look at this morning uh, comes not from the Gospel of Matthew, but actually from the Gospel of John. Uh, And this is the only text in John that we'll look at in Epiphany. All the others will be from Matthew. It picks up, though, immediately after and kind of overlaps with the passage we looked at last week in Matthew Now, this text is unique among the New Testament Gospels in that it is emphatically about seeing. In the first half of the passage, verse 29 through 34, John the Baptist sees Jesus for who he is. He then sees himself quite plainly. 
and he sees the Holy Spirit rest on Christ like a dove. In the next section then, verses 35 through 42, John is present with two of his disciples, and again John sees Jesus, he identifies him as the Lamb of God, and his two disciples commit their lives to Jesus. Then we read that Jesus sees them. He asks what it is they seek, and they go to dwell or abide with him. Their lives completely, utterly transformed. Seeing, then, is all over this passage. And I think for the author of John's Gospel, that's no accident. It's no accident. In light of our crisis of vision, then, our desperate desire to be seen by others, I'd like to meditate on this text together this morning, focusing on the concept of sight. Sight. Although we've already started our series in Epiphany, I want this message to orient us to the rest of our series, helping us see that true, abundant living begins, proceeds, and ends with, being, with seeing and being seen. Let me say that again. True, abundant living begins, proceeds, and ends with seeing and being seen. So I'll read the text in full in just a moment, and we'll walk through it together. Uh, But before we do that, let us pray. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for this wonderful text of Scripture. Thank you, Lord, for giving us eyes to see, for seeing us, I pray that you would soften our hearts to the message that you have for us this morning, Lord. Please make us more like you today. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you haven't turned there already, uh, our text is John 1, uh, verses 29 through 42. John chapter 1, verses 29 through 42. Uh, And I'm going to be reading from the ESV like I do every week. And you can find that version in the Pew Bible in front of you. So John 1, starting at verse 29, As you are able, friends, would you stand for the reading of God's word? The next day, he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel." And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples. 
And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. You may be seated. Now, as you can see, this text divides quite cleanly into two sections. In the headings of most ESV Bibles, you see, Behold, the Lamb of God, and Jesus calls the first disciples. I have no problem with those headings, um, but for the sake of this message, I'd like to uh, shift them a bit to seeing Jesus and then being seen by Jesus. And so my plan is to walk through each of these sections, focusing especially on the concept of sight. And let me just say, in this 14-verse text, uh, there is mention of sight or vision quite often. So the first point that I want to make in this uh, opening section, seeing Jesus, is that John the Baptist doesn't just look at Jesus, but he really sees him. If you start in verse 29, it says, the next day, carrying on from the story before, he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus. The verb saw there is the just common, generic Greek verb for to see or to look at. He saw Jesus coming toward him, and he stopped everything he's doing. He looked at Jesus, and he said, Behold, behold, the Lamb of God. This word behold is common in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament. Often it signals the appearance of or the revelation of God. To say behold, comma, is to stop everything you're doing, stop focusing elsewhere, and to, to look with eyes wide open at what is before you. Behold. It says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. John doesn't just look at Jesus, but he really sees him. And now I know this, we know this, because he knows who Jesus really is. He's not crafting some distorted image of Jesus in his head. As we'll see, he didn't previously know him. He is confronted by the appearance of Jesus, and he correctly identifies this person as the Lamb of God who takes away the world's sin. So first, I would argue that John really sees Jesus because he knows who Jesus really is. Now second, in verse 31, after seeing Jesus, he's immediately confronted with his own ignorance. 
He, he immediately can see himself clearly. He says, I admit, I, I, I did not know the man. I, did not, I didn't know him. But for this purpose, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. Again, in verse 33, he says, I, I myself did not know him. So we see that John becomes aware of his own ignorance when he truly sees Jesus. But he doesn't stay there. He doesn't just wallow in his own finitude, uh, his own limitations. Yes, seeing Jesus is almost like a mirror for him. He sees his own ignorance. But he also sees how his life fits into the work of Jesus. So in verse 31, he, he begins to see, oh, it's for this purpose that I came baptizing with water, that, that this Jesus might be revealed or made visible, made seeable to Israel. John sees Jesus, he sees his own limitation, but he also sees his purpose, how he fits into the plan of God. Now, one more thing he does which shows me that he really sees Jesus is that he can't help but bear witness about what he's seen. Verse 34, he says, I have seen and have borne witness. I've, I've testified publicly about what I've seen, that this is the Son of God. Again, an accurate portrayal of who this is, not some distortion that's created in his own mind. John sees Jesus, which means, friends, that he, he knows who he is, he sees himself and his own limitations, but he also sees his purpose, and he can't help but share all of this with others. Friends, are you, are you positioned to truly see Jesus in this way? Or do, do you find that in the rhythms of life, the kind of habits and tendencies of life that you, you tend to, to just look at Jesus, perhaps the same way, day after day, week after week. Are you positioned like John to, when Jesus arrives in front of you, to, to stop everything you're doing, to, to look at him plainly and clearly, and to, to see him for who he is. I'm just going to let that hover there for a bit. The next section I'd like to call being seen by Jesus. And it begins with the same language we see in verse 29. The next day, the story is moving, the next day, again, John was, was standing. He was, he was there. He was present but now he has two of his disciples with him. Now, in, in the first century Palestinian world, uh, disciples of a rabbi, students or followers of, of a Jewish teacher, uh, would, would follow, literally would, would walk around, would follow the leader, would, would be taught by him, and would live with the rabbi. It was a form of homeschooling, you could say. And so it was a total life commitment. 
And John has disciples, and two of those disciples are with him this day. And the story proceeds just like the one before, and John looks at Jesus as he walks by, and, and he says, he can't help but saying, behold, the Lamb of God. Then it says, the two disciples heard John say this, heard their rabbi say this, and they immediately followed Jesus. After seeing Jesus clearly, John immediately leads others into seeing Jesus, but also, as we'll see, into being seen by Jesus. John is not threatened by Jesus' presence. He's not worried about losing followers or disciples. He's perfectly okay with his followers leaving and becoming followers of Jesus. Seeing Jesus leads John to bear witness publicly, which leads these two disciples into following Christ. What we then see after these two disciples see Jesus, I apologize for using that word so much, but it's so critical. Jesus turns... And he, he saw them, and this is a different Greek verb for seeing. This is related to our verb, or our word theater, kind of a dramatic, cinematic seeing where you're, you're watching a, like a movie almost, and you're gazing intently. Jesus turns and gazes at these two men who've begun to follow him, and he says, what are you looking for? You could take this superficially, what are you seeking, just in that moment. But Jesus sees into the heart of things. In, in your, your daily life, when you wake up and you go about your duties, your labors, what, the things you think about, what you value, all of that, what you're striving for, what, what is it that you're seeking? And these disciples clearly overwhelmed by this question, don't actually answer it. They say, Rabbi, identifying Jesus as their new leader, Rabbi, where, where are you staying? And friends, the verb in Greek is often translated in John's gospel, where are you abiding? I don't know all the details about what I'm after in this life, Jesus, but I know that i got to be where you are. I've got to live the way you live. I have to abide with you. That I know. And Jesus looks at him. He says, come. Come, and you will see. You'll see what you are truly seeking, and you'll find it. And so it says that at about the 10th hour, you add 10 to 6 a.m., that would be the first hour. This is 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Friends, this is when laborers would stop working for the day. On a Friday, this was the beginning of Shabbat, of Sabbath. Um, for, for Jews in the first century, the day would begin at sunset. It's a little weird, uh, but, but that would be the beginning of a day. So when it says that they stayed with him that day, starting at 4 o'clock, friends, they, 
They spent the night. They broke bread. Engaged probably in hours of conversation at his feet. Jesus invited them into his way of life, his way of abiding. And they not only saw Jesus clearly, but they were seen, perhaps for the very first time, they were seen, not by any ordinary human, but by the Son of God. Well, after this, in the morning, it seems, says one of the two who heard John speak and who began to follow Jesus was the brother of Simon Peter. And just like John couldn't help but share this vision with others, it says that he first found his own brother. I can picture him running. He found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah. He can't help but share what he has seen with those close to him. And we'll see that he brings, he brings his brother Simon Peter to Jesus. And Jesus here, this is a different verb. He, he gazes at him. This is to point your eyes, to focus. He, he looks intently at, at Peter's face or at Simon's face. He says, you are Simon, the son of John. But you will be called Cephas, which means rock. Simon Peter sees Jesus, but he is seen by Jesus here. So much so that Jesus doesn't see only the Simon that is standing before him, but he sees the Apostle Peter, the man that he would become. Considering all of this, friends, do you feel seen by Jesus? In this way? Or do you sometimes find yourself hiding from Jesus? Perhaps out of an attempt to control? I know I do. I hope I've shown you in this text that true abundant living the abundant life that Jesus came to bring, true abundant living begins, proceeds, and ends with seeing Jesus and being seen by Jesus. I know I've asked you a lot of questions during this sermon, but let me ask you another. Can you think of a time or a season in which you either really saw someone for who they are, who they could be, or in which you were really seen by someone in your life. Maybe it came after a long period in which you didn't feel seen by anyone, or in, in which you were struggling to see anyone besides yourself, and you finally open your eyes to see someone. Think about that time and how, how you felt after seeing truly or being truly seen. 
When I was a teenager, <clears throat> teenage boy, frightful, frightful years, um, whew. but uh, I became tangled up in a sin struggle that many teenage boys struggle with. And nobody knew about it but me. I felt enslaved by it. I felt shame. I felt like it had poisoned or corrupted my soul. I just, I felt like nobody saw me for who I really was. And I didn't feel seen. And then one day came when, I don't know what compelled me to do this, but I finally, I went up to my, my mom, and uh, I just told her. I told her, I confessed, I told her what, what was going on. I looked at her, and she looked right at me. She said, I love you. She gave me a hug. Friends, she saw me. She saw me. And it utterly changed my life. I don't know if you feel seen right now. But guys, Jesus sees you. He does. He sees all of it. And he loves you. Do you see him? Let me close with this. <clears throat> Alexander Cremel is an African-American missionary, scholar, and Episcopal minister in the 19th century. Uh, and he preached a sermon that was published in 1882 on this passage. And uh, I'd like to read an excerpt from that message. He says, Why don't you see that if you sit and gaze upon the Lamb of God, if, if you look with all your heart and mind and soul, if you look with all your sorrow and desires, with all your tears and all your longings upon your Savior, that this is believing in Him and accepting Him as your Master and your all? Salvation, he says, comes by looking, I would say seeing. Sight is the most vivid and most transforming of all of our senses. The Bible teaches us that by beholding a thing, we become like unto it. Thus, beholding the Lamb of God saves men. If you want salvation, look to Jesus. If you want salvation, look to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for seeing us. And in, in seeing us, you give us eyes to see others. Thank you. I pray that you would transform us as you did with these early disciples that you would see not only who we are now, but who we can be, Lord. We love you and we pray that this week, this year, you would push through our defenses, our attempts to hide, 
and that you would see us and help us see you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.